Thank you, Gear. How we doing, everybody? You all right today? It's great to see you. Great to be here. Um, listen, this is special, man. This is a special thing that's happening here at Focus and at Vintage. And when I was at Vintage last year, it was about a year ago, April of last year, I, I felt during the worship time, I felt that the Holy Spirit saying, I'm moving here on the West Coast. And Vintage, you're part of this. I know you know this. I know you're feeling this. And this is just a tremendous privilege for me. Really, part of the reason we, we had to come to Southern California, it's not the you know, sunshine beaches, all of that's great too. But just this strong sense that God is up to something here. And you guys have been blazing the way. And so I just want to honor Agar and Lizzie and the team and all the leaders here at Vintage. We're so grateful for what you guys are doing. And so for us to just come and be a witness this uh, today is really a wonderful thing. Hey, uh, we don't know each other that well. So is it okay if I tell you just a little bit about my background before we open up the scriptures today? Uh, so I'm originally from Malaysia. That's where I'm from. That's where I was born. That's where I grew up. When I was 10 years old, my parents, our whole family moved from Malaysia to the U.S. My parents went to a Bible college in Portland, Oregon. I was 10 years old. My sister was thir- 13. We got some Oregon fans in the house. Okay, that's good. And uh, I grew up speaking English. That's my first language. But those three years in Oregon, in Portland, were when I learned to speak American. So it was great. We moved back to Malaysia. I finished out my high school years, four years there. Came back to the States to go to college. I was 17. Uh, a year and a half later, I met this girl uh, named Holly. And uh, she was a freshman. I was a junior. And, uh, you know, you have to forgive the stereotypes, but she had, you know, blonde highlights and tan skin. And what did I know? I was watching American TV in Malaysia, so I thought she's probably a cheerleader from California. And she looked at me, and I had, like, really short hair and gold rim glasses and Argyle sweaters before Argyle was cool the second time. And so she thought, he's probably this sweet, nerdy, foreign student guy. And I found out, as we started hanging out, I found out she was really a farm girl from Iowa. Okay, we got Iowa in the house. You never know what you're going to find uh, in California. Uh, and, 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 I, and she found out that I was really a sweet, nerdy, foreign student guy. So, but listen, miracles do happen. This August, we'll celebrate 22 years of being married. It's amazing. She's sitting over there, give a little wave. There she is. We got four kids. Our oldest is in college, and then our second is in high school, and then our younger two, Jonas and Jane, little wave, they're here with us today. So we're thrilled to be with you. Thank you for that. Um, my father-in-law just retired from, from farming. He, far- he farmed for a lot of years. He raised beef cattle, and he raised crops. And every time I would spend time with him, he would go on these long sort of you know, pontifications about the, the beauty of farming and the land. And it come to find out, he really viewed this not as a job, but as a calling. And he said, listen, I'm raising livestock and I'm raising crops, not because I have to, not because I, I care about the money. He said, actually, he said, it's because I love the dirt. I love the soil. I love the livestock. And he viewed his job as a calling. And I think sometimes when we listen to that, you think, boy, I don't know if I could say the same thing about my job. I'm not sure if my job really, you know, lines up in that way. Today, I want us to reflect on the place where God's mission and your calling meet together. Regardless of your job, regardless of the way that you go to, regardless of where you work, I really wanted to talk to you this afternoon about how you work and how you approach this idea of living on mission with Jesus. Some years ago, there was a psychologist named Angela Duckworth who wrote a book called Grit. And she said, the people who are able to persevere in their jobs are the people who have found more than a job, but have actually discovered a calling. 
And if we're honest with ourselves, that's what we all want. We want something that is greater than just a way to pass the time or use our talents or maybe even earn a paycheck. We want something bigger than ourselves that we can give ourselves to. And the good news is that's exactly what's being offered to us by the Lord. And so if you've got a Bible, you can turn with me to Exodus 3. You can follow along on the screens. We're going to be in Exodus 3 and we're going to be in John 12. And we're going to camp out in both of those texts Today, Exodus 3, verse 2 opens this way. This is Moses in the story of the burning bush. It says, Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames, in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. And so Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight why the bush does not burn up. Would you pray with me as we continue this afternoon? Living God, we ask you to speak today by the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask you to call us to yourself. We ask you to call us out into the world. God, we're hungry to not just have experiences with you, but we're hungry to give our lives away for something that is bigger than us, something that will outlast us. And so we pray that you would call us by name today, even as we open up these scriptures. We pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Right away in this text when we see that Moses turns aside and he sees this bush that's on fire and yet it's not being consumed, there's several things we could say about this, but I really just want to say one thing. God is at work in his world. God is at work within his world. Sometimes theologians will use the phrase sacramental theology, and I like that phrase a lot. Because sometimes the way our language works is we kind of form a world, a view of the world that is an upstairs, downstairs world. And we think that the downstairs is the natural world, and the upstairs is the supernatural world, and God is like a cranky grandpa who's trying to nap upstairs. And we are the rambunctious little kids on the main level, and once in a while, grandpa yells, be quiet down there. Or once in a while, if we just pester him hard enough and say, I'm hungry, he'll come down and give us a snack and a drink. And that's how we think about miracles, or that's how we think about the work of God, is we sort of think God sort of left us on the world, on earth, in the world, just to kind of manage our affairs and do whatever we want to do. But one day we get to go upstairs and be with him forever. And 2,000 years ago he came downstairs, but then he went back upstairs, and we don't really know what we're supposed to do. This vision of a bush that is burning on fire and yet not consumed is a reminder that this is God's world, that he's never abandoned it, that he's never left it, and that he continues to work within it. And rather than use language like natural or supernatural, sometimes theologians use the phrase sacramental as a way of saying it may look like the water that you're being baptized in, but actually it's the life of God that's about to transform you. And it may, you might think it's just songs and music or a band or sounds or, or something going on in the sonic kind of world, but it's much more than sounds and melodies and music. Somehow we're encountering the presence of God in the midst of that. And we're meant to sort of recognize that God is at work in his world. And actually you see this right away in the scriptures. God makes Adam and Eve in his image so that they can carry out his mission in the world. The ancient stories of the beginning of the world were stories where one person was made in the image of God. Conveniently, it was the king. <laughs> and so this one dude is the image of God and everyone else is his servants. 
But in the story that comes to us through Moses, it's a story where God says, no, every woman, every man, every human being is made in the image of God because God made all of us so that we could join him in his mission in the world. And when they fall away from him, it's God who goes calling after them. Adam, where are you? God says. And even after the world begins to fall apart and come apart at the seams, it is God who calls Abraham. It is God who calls Sarah. It is God who calls a family to himself to do his work. Over and over again, God is at work in his world. That's our foundational premise today. And now I want to say three things to us about the calling that God has for us and the mission that he has in the world. Exodus 3 verse 4, it says, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, and he said, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And then the Lord said, now here's where If you had a Bible and a pen and you were the underlining type, you could circle or underline every time you see the word I. Listen to how God is talking here. Verse 7, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians And to bring them up out of that land to a land, a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Skip down, verse 9. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. And so now go, I, and now it flips, am sending you. Do you see how over and over again God takes this personally? He says, I have heard the cry of my people. It's my people, it's my mission, and that's why I'm sending you. And so the first thing I want us to observe this morning or this afternoon from the text is that your calling is actually to join God's mission in the world. Your calling does not originate with you. It did not begin the day that you were born. It actually began the day God said, let there be lights. It's God who has a mission in the world, and he invites us to join it. Now, this is, this is difficult for us, because if you're like me, you kind of live with a little bit of main character energy. <laughs> you know, you know what I'm talking about, a little main character energy. Like, you wake up, and like, this day is about me. This day is about what I've got on my calendar. And you pray, sure you pray, but you're like, Lord, you know what I got going on today. You know I got that interview today. You know I got that phone call today. Come on, Jesus, bless it. And just because you put a little Jesus on it doesn't change the fact that it's main character energy. It's you. This is your story that you hope God will bless. And it's very easy to do this. But I wonder what would happen if instead of saying, God, even a good prayer like, God, what do you want me to do with my life? That's a good prayer. It's not a bad prayer. But I wonder if there's a better prayer. Instead of, God, what do you want me to do with my life? It's God, what are you doing in the world, and how can I join you? What are you already up to in Los Angeles, and how can I join you? What are you already doing in Santa Monica or Pasadena or Malibu? What are you already doing, and how can I join you? It's not that God doesn't want you to ask him, what do you want me to do with my life? That's okay. 
But I still think that's looking at the world with this big of a lens. And if we were to zoom out and to say, hang on a minute, long before I showed up, you were already working. Long before I was born, long before our birthdays, you were already working. And so, God, yet this may be our sort of moment to come onto the stage, but you've been on the stage the whole time. It's your story. So, God, what are you doing, and how can I join you? When you think that way, it actually reframes the way we think about work. At least in America, at least in the West, there's two common errors that we make about work. One mistake is to think that work is everything. This is, it's all build, been building up to this. Your training, your preparation, your internships, your education, all of it is just so I can get this job and then bam, I've arrived. Your work is everything and it's meant to give you identity and it's meant to give you prosperity and it's meant to give you purpose and meaning and all of those things. Clearly, that's a mistake. And some of you have seen people live that all the way out until they've shown the lie of it. Until they found the lie in that way of thinking to say, no, work can't possibly be everything. And so we then swing to the other extreme where not, work is not everything, work is nothing. And so we kind of say, ah, work, I mean, who cares? Whatever, man. What are we doing this weekend? That's what I really want to know. And so work becomes nothing, and it's really just an excuse to have money to do fun things with your friends. And so as a Christian, we're sort of torn, like, is our work everything or is our work nothing? But if we begin to flip the way we think about mission, if we begin to recognize that there is a God who has a mission in the world and he calls you and me to join it, then all of our work, paid or unpaid, volunteer or occupational, all of our work can be an occasion to actually live out a calling. It becomes neither everything nor nothing. It becomes a calling instead. There's a missiologist and Old Testament theologian in the UK named Christopher Wright, and he says it this way. He says, it's not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world. I, I like this because you're like, does, does, does Rock Harbor have a mission? Does, does Vintage have a mission? He says, it's not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world. You're saying, wait, What? Rather, it's more that God has a church for his mission in the world. That's a great line. Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission. The reason Vintage exists, the reason Rock Harbor exists, the reason, God willing, all of our churches exist is not because we have our own itty-bitty mission, but because God has a gigantic kingdom mission and we get to be one of the churches that take a place in it. Amen? God has a church for his mission. Now turn with me to John 12. We're going to turn now to this, our second text for the day. John 12, verse 23. This is Jesus in kind of the Garden of Gethsemane moment. This is the, the moment in John's gospel where Jesus is approaching the cross, and he feels the weight of what he's about to do. And it says in verse 23, it says, the, Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds, and anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And then skip down with me to verse 32. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. 
And he said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. It's good that John qualified that, isn't it? Because like if I heard Jesus say, when I'm lifted up, I will draw all people to you. Be like, okay, Jesus, when are we planning the crusade? Like, when, when are we going to plan the rally? When are we going to get the platform? When are we going to launch our brand? And Jesus, John's like, just in case you're misreading this, um, he said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. And the crowd spoke up and they said, we've heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? I mean, who is this Son of Man, they go on to say. The second thing I want us to hear this afternoon about your mission or your calling is that your calling comes with a cross. In fact, this is how you know it's a calling from God, is it comes with a cross. It's all well and fine to talk about God having a mission and we get to join it, but we can sort of get carried away and say, all right, woo, we're on the winning team, rock on. And then God's like, by the way, the way I go about accomplishing my mission is always through a cross. And you're like, what did I just sign up for? Your calling comes with a cross, and we wish it weren't so. The people in Jesus' day who heard this were deeply troubled, and they're like, we, we, we thought the Messiah was going to live forever. Like, the Messiah means the anointed one. The, the Messiah means the chosen one. I mean, this is, this is not how they saw the story going. If you are the chosen one, if you are the anointed one, then surely that means victory. Surely that means def defeating your enemy. Surely that means influence and up and to the right. And Jesus is, well, it's up, but it's not to the right. It's up on a cross. How counter is that from the world that we live in today? How counter is that from the influencers that we, that we encounter online, even Christian ones who, who want to talk to you about God giving you the victory? And internally, somehow we've internalized the message that if you're following Jesus, your life is going to get easier. And somehow we've internalized the message that if, you, if, you're, if you're obeying Jesus, then actually everything's going to work out. And we keep asking God to give us a platform, and he keeps trying to give us a cross. We keep asking God to amplify my voice and give me a place. Use me, Lord. He's like, oh, it's, it's coming, but it's going to require a cross. I want to say to you today that just because it's easy doesn't mean it's Jesus. And just because it's difficult doesn't mean it's the devil. Sometimes it's the calling Sometimes it's the cross that came with your calling. Just because it's easy doesn't mean it's Jesus. Just because it's difficult doesn't mean it's the devil. Sometimes it's the cross that came with your calling. And the moment that we wake up to that and we say, okay, God, I'm paying attention now. I'm listening now. The verses that we skipped over in John 12, we'll go back to it now, verse 27 Jesus is praying with real agony. He's not talking about the cross flippantly or casually. Verse 27, he says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It's for this very reason I came to this hour. And then he prays the most remarkable prayer. He says, Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Father, glorify your name. The third and final thing I want us to hear from the Scriptures this afternoon is that 
Not only is your calling to join God's mission in the world, not only does your calling come with a cross, but your ambition must be for the glory of God. The only way you make it through a cross, the only way you make it through the sacrifice, the only way you make it through the pain and the hardship, the only way you make it through the difficulty is when your heart is set on the glory of God. Because if your heart is fixed on saying, I signed up to follow Jesus because I thought it was going to make sure that I got married and had kids and had a house and had the good life, we'll walk away at some point. If we signed up to say, God, I want to serve your mission in L.A., God, I want to serve your mission in the world, God, I want to be part of this, and your hope was that it would look like this and look like this and look like this, there's going to be a moment where the cross appears in the midst of that calling, and the only thing that gets us past it is a heart that is fixed on the glory of God. Your ambition must be for the glory of God. I I wish I could promise you that if you live on mission with Jesus, that your life is going to be easy. But the Scriptures give us stories where that just isn't true, is it? Hebrews 11 gives us the heroes of faith that some were delivered and some were sawn in half. I don't hear a lot of sermons about those chaps. We talk a lot about trying to teach our children to do what makes them happy, find the thing that makes you enjoy yourself, and there's a, there's a sliver of truth in that. I'll talk about it in a moment. But without the north star of God's glory, the pursuit of our own happiness can lead us astray. Without the north star of saying, my, my ambition is really about God's glory, everything else can lead us astray. See, I do believe that your calling will lie at the intersection of the world's good and your joy. But the orienting north star is the glory of God. So if we were to put it together, we'd say your calling is at the intersection of God's glory, the world's good, and your joy. But see how we tend to only pull one of those two things, those other two things? And we say, well, my life is going to be about whatever's good for the world. That might be, but it might not actually be with your joy. Or you say, well, I'm going to make it all about my joy. So whatever makes me happy has got to be good for the world. And God says, start with the glory of God and then work your way into where the world's good is. And you'll also find at the end of it all, your own joy. God's glory has to be the orienting north star of our pursuit. It's easy for me to sort of stand up here and just kind of talk about this. It sounds like, that's great. That's nice. It's clearly in the Bible. These Verses became like heavy bricks in my soul about a year ago, a year and a half ago. We, were, we lived in Colorado Springs. Gare mentioned this. I moved there in the summer of 2000. Um, Holly and I got married in the summer of 2001. When we moved to Colorado Springs, we moved there with a lot of folks that we had gone to college with. And so it was, it, we were living the dream. We were living with some of our closest friends. We were working with some of our closest friends The church that we were serving at was growing and thriving and had all the external markers of success that you could think of until one day in November of 2006, the founding senior pastor was exposed with a a public moral failure. And it was shocking news that made headlines around the world. The only consolation I have is I'm grateful that it was pre the age of social media. It was a shocking, shocking day and 
The Lord used it to refine our own heart and purify us as people, as followers of Jesus, as a church. It brought us to our knees. Our new senior pastor, Brady Boyd, came in in August of 2007, and 100 days into his time, a gunman came on our campus and opened fire in the parking lot, took the lives of two teenage girls, wounded others. And we're reeling as a church, thinking about a scandal and then a tragedy, and we're saying, God, what is going on here? But in that moment, we were able to, by God's grace, rally together, praying together, worshiping together, serving one another. We became a real family in those years that followed. And after we lived through that, we thought, Holly and I thought, okay, well, this is it. Now, if we didn't leave in those hard years, then we're never leaving. Like, this is where we are. And so we put our roots down, we had kids, our friends were having kids, all of this stuff, and, and we thought, this is it. We, we are rebuilding, our calling is to, is to continue to bring renewal and new life to this church, and we were serving in significant ways, ways that made us happy and that led to the world's good. And we thought, we got it, we're doing it, this is great. And one day I got a phone call from a friend named Todd Proctor in March of 2021, he said, I'd like to talk to you about if you'd consider serving at this church that I used to lead called Rock Harbor. I said, oh, Todd, that's sweet. That's nice. I mean, I, I mean I've heard of this. It's a great church. I like you a lot. But uh, I, pff, I'm living the I didn't say this, but I was like, I don't know if you noticed, but I'm kind of living the dream. You know, I didn't say that. And I'm sure all for the glory of God. And a couple months went by, and some stuff began to stir in our hearts. We, we thought, well, you know, there were some things that happened. It became kind of clear to us. We're like, I think God's trying to get our attention. I don't know exactly how or what, but I think he's trying to get our attention. And November of 2021, I, 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 I came down to preach, and something happened to me in the midst of the service. I felt the presence of God in this powerful way, and I thought, ah, is this, am I just meant to be like a friend to this church or is something else going on? And we were trying to discern this moment in January of 22. I felt like permission to kind of dip my toe in the process, put my, to my, my you know, I stepped into the kind of this search discernment process and then backed out because I, I just didn't feel, have you ever heard Christians say this? I just didn't feel a peace about it. I'm pretty sure Jesus would not have said Gethsemane was peace, peaceful either, you know. But I, it's funny because I, I tested it out with some friends, all my buddies at, at New Life, and they're like, oh, yeah, no, it's not the Lord, you know. And of course, of course not the Lord. And I realized you actually need the right kind of community around you to help you discern. So tested it with some mentors, some wiser people, my parents, some others. Some people also had stuff to lose in all of this. And they were just cautious, and they said, you know, I don't know, but I think there could be something here. February of last year... I was on a trip to England, and um, a friend had asked me to preach at, at Coral Evensong at one of the colleges at Cambridge, and if you've been in those settings, there's a very formal kind of assigned texts. And I had been praying Exodus 3, the burning bush, for a couple months now. And I had been thinking about John 12, where Jesus says, Father, glorify your name. And he emails me, and he goes, hey, um... The text for your sermon, your homily, is Exodus 3 and John 12. And I realized that I was meant to put together this sermon not for anyone else in the room. And if you've been in Coral Evensong, you, you know nobody else was really in the room anyway. <laughs> so it was really just me and a few choir students who had to be there. And, uh, 
And the night that I was scheduled to give this homily was on my birthday. So here I am on my birthday giving a t- sermon that I'd written for myself, essentially, on the burning bush and the cross uh, uh, that Jesus was praying about in John 12. And I knew it. I thought, this is the Lord trying to get our attention here. And over the next few weeks, Holly and I just began to say over and over again, Lord, we don't know. We don't know what you're trying to say, but our prayer is glorify your name. Glorify your name through our lives. Glorify your name through our lives. As a family, we began to pray about it. We invited our kids. If you're here, you have kids. If you have you know, family members and you're trying to discern a calling, I want to just suggest to you, invite your kids into that process too at any age. And it, it's not like we had a vote about it, you know, but we did want them to all have a voice in it and to say, what do you sense? And we came out on a trip at the end of May with the entire family and we circled up each night, and by the end of the weekend, we said, what, what, are, you, what are you sensing? And, and every one of the kids said, I think we're supposed to do this. And, and some of them didn't want to do this. Not everyone thought that this would be easy or that this would be fun. And there was something in me where I realized I've, my life of following God's call has been, you know, aside from those hard few years in the early 2000s, has been pretty okay. It's been pretty easy. And sometimes God finds a way to... to shake up our comfort and to say, just so you know, I've never stopped my mission in the world and I want you to join me, but the way that you join me is going to involve you taking up a cross, but the only way you can take up your cross is if your heart and your eyes are fixed on the glory of God. And it's got to work that way. But I want to say one quick caveat before we pray together this afternoon. Sometimes, um, especially if you're young, you're a young person, You can hear this idea of living for the glory of God or taking up your cross, and you can interpret that to mean that you should be passive or that you shouldn't um, try to go after something risky. My predecessor at Rock Harbor, Todd Proctor, when when they laid hands on me in October of last year, he said uh, words that had been passed down to him. He said, faith is spelt R-I-S-K. And he's like, you just got to keep remembering that. And sometimes I think we can use cross language or glory of God language as an excuse to play small, to play small, to play safe, to say, well, I, I, I don't know, I don't, you know. And I know we, we don't want to make this error of going over here and saying we're going all vanity and big and selfish ambition, but there's such a thing as godly ambition, There's such a thing as saying, if I am to join God's mission, then I want to think in a bigger way than I've been thinking. In 1994, when Nelson Mandela gave his inauguration speech, he said said some words that were just piercing in their conviction and weight. Listen to this. Mandela said, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? And he says, actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small doesn't serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. Whew. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us, and it's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we consciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically 
liberates others. Some years ago, I read the biography of John Stott, that great pastor in London. And Stott talked about godly ambition, and this is how what he said. He said, ambitions for God, if they are to be worthy, can never be modest. There's something inherently inappropriate about cherishing small ambitions for God. How can we ever be content that he should acquire just a little more honor in the world? Isn't that something? Maybe you're here and you're like, well, I don't know. I'm not a pastor, so I just... This is for every one of us. He says Christians should be eager to develop their gifts to widen their opportunities, to extend their influence, to be given promotion in their work, not to boost their own ego or build their own empire, but rather through everything they do to bring glory to God. This is the mystery of human motivation is two people can do the same things from two very different places. And we should not say, well, because that person did it out of selfish ambition, then I'm not going to try to be brave or risk or give my... You say, you know what? I want to embrace the cross, fix my heart on the glory of God, and take a big, giant, risky, gutsy step of faith so that God can get the most glory he can possibly get out of my life. Amen? Amen. I want to invite, um, I think it's Josh, to to play here just for a second as we pray. And just, if if you would, just take a moment and bow your heads with me. I just want us to create a bit of space. I had the sense when we were singing earlier about the holiness of God that really this is kind of a holy moment. This is kind of a holy moment, our own sort of take your shoes off the ground is holy kind of moment for some of you. For some of you, this is a place where the living God is saying to you, the story you've been living in is too small. It's a story about you. It's a story about your relationships and your job and your friends. It's fine, but it's too small. And I just wonder for some of you today if right here in this last session at Focus, God wants to give you a bigger story, really His story, to invite you into it, to invite you to see it. And so that's one group of you. There's another group of you who maybe you haven't yet begun to think about the cross in your story. Haven't yet begun to think about what it looks like to surrender, to say, oh God, this is going to be costly, isn't it? And it doesn't always look the same way. It doesn't look like necessarily like moving or changing jobs. It doesn't necessarily look like any of those things, but it could look like saying, I've never thought to actually surrender to God my Monday, my Tuesday, my Wednesday. I've never actually thought to ask God if this circle of friends is actually the right circle of friends that I'm meant to be with. And there's a cross for some of you to embrace, to live on mission with Jesus. But I think there's a third group of you, and that is that God is calling you to, to, God is calling you to think bigger about His glory. And think bigger about what he's doing, what he wants to do through your gifts, through your time, through your resources. So we just created a little bit of space here, and if it helps you to open up your hands or close your eyes, you can do that. Let's just give the Holy Spirit some space to speak.
For those of you who are in that first group and you're needing to trade in the smaller story for God's bigger story of His mission, Maybe just say the phrase, I surrender. I surrender, Lord. Maybe for those of you who are encountering the cross in a particular place of your life, the cost of following Jesus, maybe right here in this moment, say not my will but yours be done not my will yours be done maybe for all of us here we're saying God what we really want is for you to be glorified in us that the mission of God in the world would take root and take place for your glory, God. And so maybe all of us could just say this phrase, just say, be glorified. Be glorified. Be glorified, God. Be glorified in our moments and our days. Be glorified in our weakness. Be glorified in our strength. Be glorified. Be glorified. Be glorified in our surrender. Be glorified in our obedience. Be glorified.